0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for uh, coming this evening to this, the 13th annual lecture uh, of the Hellenic Observatory here at the LSE, and uh, thank you, a special thanks for coming, it seems rather cold outside, I must say, it's better to be inside than uh, walking around the the campus. Uh, So, welcome. Our series of annual lectures have uh, incorporated a number of uh, important speakers. We've had uh, Greek prime ministers, foreign ministers, finance ministers. We've had the patriarch from Constantinople, uh, etc. And uh, perhaps, when I think about it, Calliope, perhaps each of them have been less confident than our speaker this evening. Because, of course, they made sure that they would be giving the lecture which was not the... 13th annual lecture (laughs) of the Hellenic Observatory. So, clearly Calliope is a figure of some resilience and confidence. And she needs to be, of course, because, as I think, yes, it indicates here, she is the ombudsman uh, of Greece. She is the first woman to be the the Greek ombudsman. So our embarrassment, our embarrassment, uh, she is, I think, only the second woman to give the annual lecture here for the Hellenic Observatory. So we must try to correct that uh, in the future. As ombudsman, Calliope Panou has uh, followed two previous guests of ours: uh, Professor Nikiforos Diamantoulis and Yorgos Kaminis, who is now the mayor of Athens. Calliope is a distinguished academic in her own right. She is Professor of Administrative Sciences and Public Administration at the University of Athens. She's a recognized academic authority on how the Greek State Administration has developed and the weaknesses within the State Administration. I would say that over the years, I personally have learned a lot from the writings of Calliope Spanu. Professor Spanu on the weaknesses of the Greek state administration. Forgive me for saying it would have been advantageous if successive Greek governments had also learned quite a lot (laughs) from the writings of uh, Professor Spanu. Professor Spanu will speak on the Greek ombudsman and public administration during challenging, challenging times. And I would simply note by way of introduction that many of the conditions attached to Greece's bailouts do in fact focus on matters of administrative reform changing the Greek state administration Uh, so both as an academic but also as ombudsman Uh, Professor Spanou is very familiar with many of these uh, issues the issues that administrative reform are seeking to tackle one thinks of the issues of low trust in public institutions problems of clientelism some corruption, low skills, low morale, etc., within the Greek administrative machine. And having written so eloquently on these matters in the past, uh, the diagnosis of Professor Spanu will be still relevant and topical for us uh, this evening. Now, of course, Greece is changing. Greece is changing in the context of uh, the memorandum in the context of the crisis and the response uh, to it Uh, with the prompting as I say of the memoranda, the bailouts then a lot of attention is focused on reforms of the Greek state administration and a major effort has been made with e-governance electronic governance indeed a recent survey showed that Greece now ranks second in Europe second in Europe uh, in terms of scores of access for e-governance uh, from the state's uh, institutions. And we might hear this evening whether this will ease the work of the Ombudsman's Office now in the, the future. Some also talk in the present situation about uh, changing the Constitution in different ways. Perhaps that will come up as a theme this evening in terms of the relations between citizen and state uh, institutions. Uh, We've agreed uh, that Calliope will uh, speak to us for 45, 50 minutes, something like that, and we should then have plenty of time for questions and answers uh, afterwards. Uh, so, without further ado, will you please join me in welcoming the 13th annual lecture of the Hellenic Observatory, Professor Kalliopi Stefanou.
1: evening. evening. Um, I'm not sure I I am heard up there. I know that I don't speak very loud, um, so please tell me. First of all, I would like to thank you very much for uh, this invitation. I'm happy to be back here. Some 20 years ago, I was here for a sabbatical. It's, I realize how much time uh, has been since. Of course, I've been back, but that was my first visit to the LSE, so... <laughs> Uh, And uh, the 13th lecture in 2013, Yes. I think you chose that for me. Now, uh, it is also a nice coincidence uh, that uh, this annual lecture comes uh, shortly after the 15th anniversary of the Greek Ombudsman, which started to operate on the 1st of October 1998, uh, and only a few days ago we held in Athens an anniversary event with uh, the support of the Council of Europe. so it is uh, also for uh, the ombudsman a very good uh, chance to uh, to have this uh, opportunity to present itself not as a person but as an institution. Uh, I will start with a few elements of the mission and mandate. Uh, uh, I'll try to go a bit fast uh, because uh, that might be more or less uh, familiar to you. Um, But I will start with the following question. Are free elections and democratic government sufficient to protect the rights of people in everyday interactions with public administration? That's the main question. Despite the variety of institutional arrangements in various countries, the answer is generally no. And that's where the Ombudsman comes into the picture in Greece and elsewhere. Of course, this is an institution that originates from the Scandinavian countries. It expanded in the 60s and the 70s, and more recently in the 90s, it received a strong push uh, across the European continent. Very few countries do not have right now um, national ombudsman but they usually have a regional or a specialized one now the uh, main uh, mission is to confront maladministration protect human rights and uphold the rule of law that's the main uh, mission of an ombudsman and uh, this is done uh, through what is called mediation mediation means that the ombudsman Uh, hears or receives complaints from people and then tries to see if they have a a legal basis, if they are founded, well-founded. And based on this kind of assessment, the Ombudsman then uh, forms an opinion and tries to convince the administration to see things in a different light. Uh, This um, mission uh, is important in Greece, uh, first of all, because uh, uh, it strengthens the rule of law. We have some problems with the rule of law. Uh, Good governance, consolidating good governance, injecting uh, accountability in the system, in the political administrative system, and empowering citizens vis-a-vis the bureaucracy. the complaints are individual complaints, usually, um, which means administrative actions or omissions or material acts uh, taken back by government at, very, at various levels, departments, um, government departments, uh, local government, uh, various agencies, etc. And these acts. Uh, infringe upon the rights of uh, individuals and legal entities. Any person can address the ombudsman. And the Greek ombudsman has a very broad mandate because it includes also the uh, um, issue of uh, addressing discrimination on grounds of race, religion, ethnicity, gender, age, disability, and also has a mission to protect children's rights. This is at all order but the uh, ombudsman is primarily this mediator i talked about and needs uh, to and tries to help people to uh, citizens to exercise their right, rights effectively now the in terms of its status it is an independent authority mm-hmm. uh, independent authority means that this is, uh, this institution is not subject to governmental oversight and control And uh, this uh, has to do very much with the mode of designation of the office holder and the conditions under which um, he or she exercises his and her duties. These both um, uh, issues are also guaranteed by the Constitution. Now not subject to governmental oversight, but accountable to Parliament. Uh, It's not an an institution independent and out of any accountability. Uh, It is accountable to the Parliament. First of all, it is the Parliament that elects, it's an inter-party body of the Parliament, uh, which elects uh, either uh, in unanimity or by a majority of four-fifths, the uh, Ombudsman, and uh, this uh, mode of election shows that there is a, a concern to reach a consensus, uh, which is not always easy in the Greek context. Uh, the ombudsman is a mechanism for good governance. Good governance, as you know, refers to the manner in which power is exercised, the process of decision-making, the process of implementing decisions, and in any policy field. This, of course, uh, is a very wide area, uh, but what I would like to stress in that respect is that good governance... uh, is the basis for trusting institutions. And this again is important in the Greek context. Good governance has another um, aspect which is uh, uh, that um, which relates to the obstacles that uh, uh, individuals, citizens or any person face when they Get into touch with administration when they want to to claim a right, etc. Um, this means that there are obstacles which may be objective. They have to do with uh, the legal, um, um, you know, the, the legal steps they na- need to make, or the quality of the legislation, or uh, um, <clears throat> difficult and complex procedures. All of that could be. Um, qualified as objective obstacles, but there are also subjective obstacles in fulfillment of rights. They have to do with the capacity of individuals to do do what it takes in order to to realize a right and um, to claim what they are uh, um, entitled to. So In this respect, uh, good governance means that um, any person has the possibility to fulfill their rights, to realize their rights. And again, the Ombudsman is an institution that empowers individuals uh, to be able to cope with sometimes a very difficult and complex system um, and... uh, Achieve uh, redress in respect of their rights or make sure that they get what they're entitled to. I will come to a second aspect, uh, which is uh, now a bit more, uh, um, uh, I would say, at the center of an academic uh, discussion in many countries, not, not only in Greece. And it has to do with the place of the ombudsman in the institutional architecture. We know that uh, a liberal democratic government uh, contains some form of separation of powers. And uh, this means free elections of the legislature, accountable government, independent judicial system. And the question is, where does the ombudsman fit therein? Uh, This is a question that applies to all independent authorities. It's not only for the ombudsman and the reason is that all independent authorities as i mentioned before uh, are outside of the pyramid of governmental control and uh, uh, oversight so this um, is an issue that is uh, politically and institutionally sensitive to the point that uh, there is some institutional confusion what about what are these independent authorities doing uh, are they part of the legislature, if they produce rules in some way and regulations, uh, are they part of the judiciary if they um, decide on disputes, um, where do they belong? Now, some uh, academics had uh, talked about the fourth bran- branch of government, which is a little bit maybe too much, but it also depends on the institutional arrangements in, uh, in every country. Uh, what um, uh, is uh, uh, the, 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 the answer to the, the question is, uh, in some way, uh, oh, but it's a hybrid <laughs> institution. It, um, uh, the Ombudsman does not have, as we'll see in a moment, has not the power to sanction, does not impose its opinions and decisions. So in that sense, it does not have the power of the executive, it does not have the power of the judiciary, and does not really make rules but interprets or tries to shed light on the way they should be Uh, implemented, taking into account a number of other considerations. So I will turn the question in a different um, direction. Uh, Any institution has to find its own role and place in the institutional architecture, and that means that it has to shape its own relations with other institutions. Uh, It is a general um, idea about ombudsman institutions that they do not intend to replace fair trial or to uh, replace the judiciary, but just to complement judicial protection, safeguarding fair and good administration. So uh, this is clear, uh, and this is why uh, the ombudsman does not intervene when a case is pending, uh, before the courts uh, but the ombudsman activates accountability and accountability means to give an account to provide the reasons for a decision uh, or action or inaction and this is a primary means of democracy this exactly is what it does it activates accountability accountability Of course, accountability is also political, and it's also legal, and political accountability is linked to parliamentary oversight uh, of the executive and elections, of course, but also there is legal accountability by the judiciary and the courts. But the Ombudsman has to do with bureaucracy, and bureaucracy is not politically accountable unless through its political leadership. That's why we need external control mechanisms, administrative, financial, or specialized inspection bodies. And they need to go beyond uh, hierarchical, internal hierarchical or managerial accountability, uh, which may still exist in parallel. So the bureaucracy makes a lot of decisions every day which risk to remain unchallenged Uh, if there is a direct accountability, if everything has to go through the political leadership or uh, to the court. Going to the court means, of course, a long time and a lot of of financial resources. And this is uh, the the, the, uh, utility of of such an institution. It controls the legality of an act, requires... Explanation for the decision. It uh, examines the legal and factual foundations of an act and the way the law is interpreted and implemented. Now, in doing that, because the ombudsman is uh, all the time in contact with the administration uh, in order to uh, investigate individual complaints, uh, the ombudsman comes into very close contact with the administration, the deficiencies of everyday uh, uh, operation. At the same time, it comes into close contact with changing realities, needs, perceptions. This is a, a big advantage because um, it uh, it is really the an institution very close to society, very close to to people and what, how they they um, see administration and in general state and relations. And that will be up clear also later when we come to uh, challenging times. But in, in, uh, in doing that, in, doing, in investigating individual complaints, the Ombudsman has also the possibility to, um, uh, in some way, uh, see through the uh, administration and its uh, deficiencies and realize what is, needs to be done. It realizes what is, uh, you know, uh, doesn't go well, doesn't work well, and in, that, uh, in doing that can formulate more general propositions and recommendations. And this is, again, something very important because you may solve individual complaints, but the problems may come back... On another and on the next individual complaint, and again and again. So uh, this uh, accumulation of experience allows the ombudsman to formulate much broader recommendations, and that is a way to contribute to administrative reform and improvement. So up to now, I have um, uh, described something uh, in this this function of the ombudsman, which clearly shows uh, that the Ombudsman does not make justice or law, does not produce the law, does not change the law, and does not decide on disputes in a, in a, in a way that a court may decide. So uh, its recommendations are, non, are non-binding. non That is an important difference from uh, the other uh, institutions, um, Recommendations uh, on individual cases are based on the um, uh, uh, moral authority, as we say, on the strength of the argument and uh, persuasion. Uh, the Ombudsman one needs to persuade. It cannot impose. Still, the acceptance of uh, its recommendations on individual cases are quite, uh, it's, it's quite high. For example, usually um, in the past uh, let's say 15 years, there is an average of 77% of uh, acceptance of individual uh, recommendations. And in 2012, we had uh, something like 20, uh, 82%, which shows that there is also a, you know, a room for improvement, but which also shows that the administration has accepted the Ombudsman and really um, listens to uh, its recommendations. Uh, All this uh, is uh, also part of a general discussion. Uh, If the Ombudsman cannot impose, how efficient can it be? Uh, And this is why there is this distinction I don't know if you are familiar with it uh, between uh, thin and thick accountability. Thick accountability would mean that uh, they uh, that the recommendations can be imposed, and there is a sanction if somebody does not conform these recommendations. Some service does not com- uh, conform. And thin is what I described to you, more the persuasion, the fact that there is no sanction if if a service um, just uh, disagrees. Um, But I would say that thin accountability has a lot of advantages. First of all, uh, it allows the ombudsman to be much more innovative, much more inventive, much more flexible, uh, because... At the end of the day, it is the other side. It's the administration that will have to decide if this recommendation is to be adopted or not. And uh, so there is room for interpretation. There is room uh, for adjustment of general rules to changing realities. And there is also... um, uh, in you know a dynamic towards improvement of rules and this is something that uh, uh, the, the, the uh, cumulative experience of the ombudsman also contributes to uh, to improving um, public administration another advantage for thin accountability is that it uh, has to um, no, it, it starts from individual recommendations at any level and aspect of uh, administrative op- operation. It is really in, in contact with uh, the everyday details of the administrative work. And this is, again, very important because this is how uh, the Ombudsman can really have a good knowledge of what is happening in the administration. Uh, when uh, an inspection body, for example, that has a, a power to sanction and to punish or to you know, impose uh, intervenes, the reaction from the side of the administration is not the same. There is um, skepticism or there is reluctance or there is fear. or uh, No, the, the Ombudsman is trying to make the administration think again. Uh, that has also a pedagogical effect that mobilizes the um, internal forces within the administration at every level, at every service to think again and to see what can be done differently. I think that with all that it, I've practically described the sui generis institution and these are this is a summary of these um, um, features. The personal dimension uh, it's an institution that uh, appears to be you know, one person of course it's an institution um, the, it is independent in the handling of complaints uh, citizens can uh, address the ombudsman for free and it's uh, in a very easy way without any formalities the focus is on the redress of legality and good administration and um, it has the power to recommend broader changes. It has also the capacity to uh, initiate inquiries. That means to um, take the initiative to investigate an issue without having an um, individual complaint uh, first. And uh, uh, last, uh, it, uh, its uh, recommendation uh, is not binding. It is, you know, an argument that needs to be that needs to persuade. Now, the other um, uh, aspect of that, is, is there a contradiction? The Ombudsman is a sui institution also because it appears as a state institution defending rights vis-a-vis the state. And that also may be confusing at times. It also has unusual methods of intervention because it controls, but it has no power to impose. Uh, It takes a position to propose a solution, but it's still independent. It implements the rule of law, but needs to persuade. The rule of law, by definition, should be, in in, in the legal theory, it is something automatic. Uh, No, we try to implement the rule of law by convincing that that's how it should be. The Ombudsman defends the rights of citizens, but it's not their attorney. The basis is not what the citizen wants, but what the legality says about his rights and obligations. And it is an independent authority, but it's still accountable uh, to Parliament. Now, uh, I've mentioned some of the aspects that... uh, relate to the Greek context, but now I will focus more on this uh, this issue. Uh, I'll try to point out the importance by referring to some traditional features which I have summarized in what you can see already. The first is that society's lack of trust in institutions. That's a very... Um, long-standing feature in Greek society. Discrediting of institutions, tendency to bypass. <coughs> excuse me. Then extra-institutional arrangements that undermine formal rules and create a gap between formal rules and informal practices. A frequent gap in the implementation of administrative decisions and sometimes of court decisions by responsible bodies risk of party politicization and tendency to subject any institution to a form of political capture by the government of the day, and administrative deficiencies a bureaucratic machine that cannot keep up with modern demands of service delivery and citizens' expectations. An accountability deficit there is, for a long time the Greek administration was deprived of control and inspection bodies. And last, an overloaded court system and negative cost-benefit relation in challenging administrative decisions because of the financial resources and the time involved. I shall not develop these points, but maybe we'll have the time to talk about them later. Let me now describe the context in which the Ombudsman, as well as other independent institutions, were um, uh, established. It was in the 90s. The priority was on Europeanization, and this priority gave birth to a wave of uh, initiatives. Among these, inspection and control bodies were introduced or reinforced, While they were practically absent uh, until then, independent authorities were introduced for the protection of rights and for the regulation of economic sectors, uh, which were undergoing uh, liberalization. Now, in view of the uh, traditional features that I referred to a moment, uh, just a moment uh, ago, one can imagine that the creation of uh, independent authorities was close to a a revolution for the Greek political administrative system. Um, And the award of constitutional status in 2001 as a top-level guarantee for uh, uh, independent authorities, um, including the Ombudsman, only highlights the importance of this development. Taken together, Independent authorities, as well as inspection and control bodies, formed a pluralistic network of accountability mechanisms vis-à-vis a public administration that, until then, were not used to give reasons for its action or inaction. In other words, we may talk about an injection of accountability and pluralism in the then political administrative system. Of course, uh, when uh, they were established, strong reservations were expressed against independent authorities, these new type structures, because they elude political control and accountability vis-à-vis the government of the day. Not accountability vis-à-vis the parliament, but vis-à-vis the government of the day. And that they did not have any representative character. Some MPs and, uh, seemed to dismiss the fact that independent authorities were accountable to the parliament and of course to the judiciary uh, for their decisions and expressed a lot of, of uh, reluctance, a lot of even sometimes objections um, because they did not fit into their perception of how democracy and democratic institution works. And <clears throat> this perception was based on an idea of democracy as merely a majority principle not as a system of checks and balances where power stops power where there is a plurality of mutually supervised bodies according to the majority principles uh, practically no independent body could be tolerated which means not politically supervised directly by the government, it is significant that large parts of the discussion of the parliamentary discussion were concerned more uh, with the mode of designation of their members than with uh, the guarantees of independence. Why because the mode of designation of the members of independence authorities um, might counterbalance the independence. So the priority was not on independence, it was on controlling. So this checks and balances approach, it's not very, very uh, extensively shared in the Greek political uh, system. Um, there is also another reason why the creation of independent authorities uh, is what I named a, close to revolution for uh, the the political administrative system of the time it's that uh, there is a clientelistic tradition in in Greece which means an intermediary role of the politicians the political personnel often acts as an intermediary between the citizens and the administration, the state and um, this uh, um, creating an, an institution a state institution which would be the intermediary without having to in some way get into some kind of exchange with the political personnel was uh, an achievement. Uh, Political networks traditionally tried to take advantage of the deficiencies of public administration and appear as a passage oblige in an informal exchange relation. So... uh, Back in 1997, during the parliamentary debate on the bill, introducing the Ombudsman, uh, the MPs did not like the idea uh, for themselves, but not all the MPs, some MPs, I have to say, did not like the idea, uh, but uh, uh, they uh, said, this is a luxury. We should just shape a better administration, of course. Uh, the priority is still to have a better administration. But this is not a sufficient reason to refuse a new institution. Another argument that was heard by some was uh, that the ombudsman would replace professional mediators, such as lawyers, uh, who also intervene in, uh, between citizens and the states to uh, confront the difficulties. And another Uh, idea was that it was a decorative body uh, with no real power since it did not have the power to sanction Uh, so all these reactions have to be seen in the light of uh, the capacity and the mission of the Ombudsman to counterbalance not only the weight of bureaucracy on citizens but also the political weight exercised on the administration citizens did not need anymore to resort to non-institutional intermediaries and personal or political networks in order to solve their problem. Uh, they would just go to the Ombudsman. So this uh, the creation of the uh, Ombudsman was an institutional remedy, a tool to defend one, one's rights within the realm of straightforward legality. And this is, again, uh, it's very important within the Greek context because this is something that might enhance trust in institutions. Now, 15 years later, this, all these uh, objections have um, been put aside. Nobody really talks about them anymore. And the Ombudsman has received a high level of recognition and respect from all stakeholders from the government as much as from the parliament and most of all society so that's what I've just talked about now some uh, issues about the contribution of the Ombudsman to administrative reform Uh, the uh, Ombudsman submits every year it's own uh, annual report to the Parliament this activates in some way the accountability procedure and uh, based on that the a committee of the parliament the committee on transparency and institutions uh, organizes and discussions a discussion but apart from this annual report they almost can submit special reports on various uh, Issues and policy areas based on a wider number of complaints and its own uh, assessment of the problems. Um, In these reports, uh, in fact, what is promoted is good governance. If we need to see what influences, what are the factors influencing good governance? First of all, it's the operation of the political system, then it's the legal system, and, of course, the administrative system. Of course, the Ombudsman cannot remedy to all deficiencies at all three uh, levels. But still, what the problems are directly linked to these aspects of good governance. The first one is the quality of legislation. The quality of legislation, which is rather poor, uh, is a source of a, a major source of problems for uh, citizens and for the administration itself and it has been uh, consistently promoted by the ombudsman as the area where most needs to be done. Uh, the quality of legislation consists. The lack of quality of legislation consists basically in fragmentation of uh, legal rules, or the uh, the fact that they, they you, you can find provisions on the various issues in irrelevant uh, laws. The fact that they change very fast, often, but there is no codification in order to reorganise the body of, uh, of, uh, of the law, and uh, of course this creates a form of tra- lack of transparency, because when the legislation is so fragmented, um, very few can know what, uh, what the law is, and what the procedure <coughs> is, and what the rights of a person are, so this, uh, these are two major problems for the legislation. And of course, this is the result of the way the political system operates, because laws are made by the parliament and uh, uh, and the political um, yeah, these are political decisions so uh, this is a major issue we'll see that this continues to, uh, today but um, uh quality of legislation and regulation has been uh, rather the role of the Ombudsman in improving or contributing to the improvement has been even recognized. Two years ago there was a law uh, giving the Ombudsman the possibility to uh, contribute uh, to that by giving um, its assessment on uh, the quality of uh, rules. Now, the um, insufficient implementation, of course, is a matter of that can uh, is it, produced by the operation of uh, by the quality of legislation and the quality of the legal environment but also of the administrative system and again we have the procedures that are um, a byproduct of laws often um, and which are again very complex time consuming and often uh, give the feeling that they a priori suspect citizens from fraud, which makes everything much more difficult. Because then every uh, controls are uh, superposed one to the other, and then it goes always too far. Uh, Now, in that, uh, the Ombudsman has contributed, and I'll go a little bit faster on this, uh, with uh, uh, a lot of uh, proposals that have been uh, integrated in the Code of Administrative Procedures. Uh, a lot of uh, that, for example, in 2004, and again more recently, uh, has worked on the access of documents, the right to access uh, of access to documents. Uh, a lot of work has been done, and there is also publication on that. Uh, more recently, and I refer to that only, um, I mean, few. Months ago, we have submitted special reports on administrative simplifications, for uh, and also on the simplification for business and business environment. And um, uh, we have contributed with the code of good administrative behaviour. It has been elaborated in cooperation with the Ministry of Administrative Reform. These are some ideas, some examples of the um, of the you know, more generic, I would say, contribution to administrative reform. But uh, here you have uh, a list of uh, special reports, some of, in total, we have 35 up to now. But some, this gives you an idea of the uh, issues with which um, uh, we have dealt in the past years. In 2012... Uh, out of uh, uh, 73 proposals submitted, uh, about um, 15% were accepted in within the same year. And uh, from the proposals of 2011, 36% were accepted within a year. So. This goes not uh, does not go as fast as we would like, but this is also a very different issue because the recommendations uh, based on these uh, legislative or organizational proposals are more difficult to handle. Also, they need to be studied. They need to be uh, you know they need time. Uh, but uh, very few are rejected. Most of them remain in stock, and at some point they resurface. Now, current challenges, that's uh, possibly the um, interesting part for, because of, the, uh, of today's problems. Now, um, the main challenge, as you uh, may guess, is uh, that um, uh, Greece is uh, under a situation of uh, fiscal austerity and, um, and economic, multi-year economic recession. In many ways, the Ombudsman now is called upon to respond to problems and challenges arising from this uh, austerity and recession. And as a mediator between the administration and society, uh, the Ombudsman can see the difficulties in both. It's an unprecedented and very challenging situation. First of all, in terms of uh, what happens in public administration. We are aware of the problems. We knew the problems and the deficiencies of Greek administration. Of course, they are there. But uh, right now, there are new problems added on, and fewer resources at our disposal to deal with them. Uh, there is an enormous pressure for the administration to have function with uh, much less staff, new and strict uh, financial management rules and procedures, uh, in a legal and organizational environment that is characterized by a high degree of fluidity and frequent changes. Public administration is subject to measures taken to reduce the number of uh, the staff. This creates a lot of uncertainty. There is a general tendency to devalue the public service and use it as scapegoat for everything. The large wave of early retirements and the, um, due to the changes of the pension system, but also the termination of fixed-term contracts, have reduced the number of public employees by 190,000 since 2009. These are numbers of the. Bank of Greece the report in 2013 that has affected greatly affected the capacity of the administration to carry out its tasks and particularly the in the services that have to do with citizens uh, at the same time, because of all these uh, these much stricter procedures and uh, and less uh, you know f- f- fewer uh, you know empl- employees to carry out the work etc., there is much less discretion. And w- uh, less, sorry, less willingness to use discretion and flexibility, which is the tool of the Ombudsman in reality. The Ombudsman asks the administration to use its discretion and flexibility. So that's uh, also difficult for the Ombudsman. It is also, the administration is also less sensitive to fulfilling procedural requirements and gets more formalistic in the way it operates. And because it wants to be covered, it wants to to avoid problems, it, it doesn't have the time to think too much about certain uh, issues. So uh, for formalism is a is a safe solution. In the current context, all problems are exacerbated and they take up a systemic character. That's the qualitative difference. The legislative uh, framework is fluid and changing. With little advance notice, legal certainty and transparency suffer. Again, the quality of legislating is getting worse, exactly because of the very sudden and 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 uh, uh, frequent changes of legisla- legislation. Uh, these are very real and very difficult problems to deal with. Now, the question is. Uh, okay we have a radically different environment and um, austerity reorders priorities the question is does it rationalize them my answer is no not automatically there is no time and space to redesign the administrative arrangements the procedures the operations of the administration in order to do more with less So limited resources and time constraints do not allow rationalization, but add to its deficit. In terms of the society, what we can see is a social exhaustion and a reform fatigue. People often complain to the Ombudsman not just about a bureaucratic issue, but about their absolute incapacity to fulfill mostly financial obligations to the state, to banks, etc., because of unemployment or insufficient resources and past commitments. The conditions of life uh, of vulnerable groups are deteriorating. Uh, Citizens are taken by surprise about new tax regulation or uh, uh, changes in their pension or in benefits, etc., and this enhances mistrust in government. In such a socially and politically charged climate, extreme positions and actions emerge in society and the state should provide an adequate response capacity. And the protection of human rights is more urgent and essential. The creation of scapegoats is put forward as a way out or a solution to all kinds of individual and collective impasses. Racist violence and populist tendencies are on the rise. And the Ombudsman has warned against sliding down this dangerous path. We had a recent report on racist violence uh, highlighting these issues. Now, the Ombudsman responds. Uh, Again, new conditions for the Ombudsman, as you may understand from what has uh, been said up to now. The Ombudsman is not anymore the institution that deals with marginal deficiencies, with marginal problems, with individual problems, where the rest is more or less working uh, in an acceptable way. Uh, now, it is the, the Ombudsman has to, to, to face a generalized disappointment and disillusionment. The demand that, um, in, in, the, in the complaints, what is clear is a demand for just social justice. In the past, social justice would mean more resources for various different uh, uh, social groups. Today, it means proportionality in burden sharing, observation of regulations, transparency. And while social inequalities are on the rise, the fewer the resources, the more important are the rules and criteria for fair distribution. And this is, again, a challenge for the Ombudsman. So social rights are under enormous pressure. The discussion is, again, open about their elasticity. But when the right to employment and to a decent life are affected, then individual mediation is not a solution. It may take the form of an individual complaint, but the real issue is systemic. Uh, In terms of the complaints, there is a peak in sectors directly um, linked to the the management of the crisis. they concern mainly the welfare state. Uh, I think it is I mean a significant example is that from 5% in 2008 uh, the social insurance funds have uh, reached 27% in 2012 as as uh, services that have problems of maladministration which means basically delays, uh, enormous delays also delays in uh, uh, payment of arrears to citizens VAT or uh, personal income tax returns reimbursement of and payment of goods and services to providers etc now the ombudsman uh, tries to recal- recalibrate its activities in this uh, context and take account into account the current conditions limited resources, immediate needs, and uh, from uh, the side of of people. Uh, We have intervened in many issues that are very uh, important for uh, people living in Greece. I won't bother you with this. But we have also formulated uh, about 80 low-cost proposals to 12 ministries last year, uh, which could contribute to, uh, to the rationalisation of procedures, as well as to improve the quality of uh, relations with citizens. And we have the recent reports on simplifications, etc. Now, can the ombudsman deliver according to its own standards in uh, in such uh, a context? The expectations of uh, people are extremely high. And they are, you know, up to the uh, measure of their um, the pressure they experience in everyday life. So that is a, a, an extremely difficult, difficult mission now to uh, to be able to uh, respond. The expectations sometimes go as far as to expect that the uh, the law will change. Of course. Uh, we may propose something, some change, but that is not automatically adopted. And uh, it is again difficult because of this mistrust that is now again on the rise. Instead of of, uh, enhancing trust in the state and institutions, and we need that desperately, all this context now just increases mistrust. So the there is a risk of disillusion and the Ombudsman tries still to offer what it can offer. The, a means of uh, uh, addressing problems with the administration at an individual level first, but also at a more general level. The issue is a new relationship between citizens and state, a new social contract. It's As simple and as complicated as that. And uh, if this is the issue, then you can imagine that the the Ombudsman often uh, finds itself dealing with issues that are at the heart of the political confrontations. And um, we need proximity with people and problems and distance from active politics because that's a condition of credibility. In whatever we can try to to propose, and the, the the good news is that we still have enjoy the the trust of people. And now, just the conclusions in uh, in a few words. The Ombudsman is a living institution. It it follows what is happening in, in Greek society and administration. Uh, it has it faces ethical issues, but not dilemmas because the guiding principle is the rule of law and human rights, good administration. It is the natural ally of administrative reform and modernization and the building of a new the shaping of a new culture uh, administrative culture a user friendly culture uh, of, for government uh, in my view, the state has, when state reform has to follow on a different, and that might be an issue for a discussion on, on a different issue than it really does now, and create the condition for <clears throat> the conditions for uh, citizens, economic actors, intermediary institutions to uh, to be able to develop their activities. It has to be create um, the conditions enabling them, an enabling state, to give them the opportunity to do what they are to do. Human rights and good governance are not luxury. They are essential ingredients for building a, new, a better future, especially for young people, for the young generation. <clears throat> And, of course, accountability and transparency are are as important as ever uh, because that's the only way that the administration can gain uh, credibility. And this is something now very crucial even for social cohesion. And last but not least, no easy solutions. Uh, The administration has to be reformed and... Uh, Has to support the Greek society in such challenging times. Thank you very much. Join me over here. Yes. Should I close this? No.
0: Thank you for that uh, very informative uh, presentation and you touch on a number of issues which are highly relevant to the to the crisis. Um, we have time uh, a little time for uh, discussion to pick up some of the major themes that you 've uh, raised. Uh, perhaps I could kick off with one question of my own, and in a sense this takes up themes from your own academic work as well as your um, ombudsman uh, presentation of course in the crisis the ability of states administration the state administration to deliver change deliver adaptation to the uh, pressures of um, the economy uh, places a c- central focus on state administration Uh, you've just used the phrase of the the state administration becoming an enabling state an enabling state, a radical shift if it was to occur in the Greek uh, context it strikes me though that uh, as you yourself have emphasized in previous uh, writings there are uh, there's a set of embedded norms, deep-rooted traditions, which make this kind of aspiration uh, really very difficult indeed. And I think of two of them. The idea of the state administration becoming more efficient, the, the idea of the state administration becoming a more effective deliverer of core services, seem to be challenged by two major constraints. One is the administrative culture of legal formalism, uh, the desire for ex-ante regulation in in such an extensive uh, fashion, squeezing the scope for flexibility and discretion and adaptation. And the other is clientelism. And I think in terms of clientelism, again in relation to administrative reform, the idea of managers... Uh, having greater professionalization the idea of managers being subject to performance reviews evaluation reviews in a context in which there is uh, this inherited tradition of clientelism can we realistically expect performance reviews evaluations to occur when uh, Costas may be evaluating Maria in the context in which both are very clear about the clientelistic environment in which they've come to their jobs. So it strikes me that uh, your notion of an enabling state, a state which would, in that sense, make it easier for the, job, the task of the ombudsman, uh, seems to confront really very deep rooted cultural traits which were there before the crisis but have simply been more easily profiled by the crisis we recognise the problems more but they are deep rooted and I wonder whether one of the interpretations of your lecture is more pessimism than optimism you've painted this picture of uh, the destination the destination to be a more enabling efficient professional state but I wonder whether your diagnosis as, the, as an academic before you became the ombudsman gives us perhaps an accurate story, an accurate picture, as to the prospects of achieving this enabling state?
1: Nobody said it's easy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, First of all, yes, I think there are various things in what you said. Uh, In terms of uh, clientelism, I think that clientelism is favored by by, um, and favors also. when financial uh, rules are a little bit loose or don't exist or... uh, okay. so now that we have much tighter, uh, and I think uh, uh, now even everything is much tighter, even to the point that, you know, of uh, being too tight, of strangling initiatives within the administration. But uh, uh, first of all, I think this changes this changes objectively. Uh, either we want it or not, it changes. Mm. Mm. Uh, so in terms of uh, clientelism, I think um, the resources to distribute now are much yes. limited. Yes. Uh, the rules are there. And uh, that may be kept under some control. Uh, I have to say also that uh, these clientelistic, uh, clientelistic practices had at some point been under some control. It was not uh, the same. During the past, uh, let's say, 30 years, there has been uh, some you know, order yes, in yes, this area. Yes. Uh, but still, uh, on the fringes, there was always some room for that. Uh, just a parenthesis, so with what is happening now in, in public administration and the um, Perspective of, of, of uh, dismissals, etc. You have two camps, from what I hear, those who have entered the administration through ACEP, which was the you know, normal formal uh, official uh, competition, and the others. Mm. That also shows an internal dynamic, which may be useful to keep in mind. Now, the second uh, is about formalism. Uh, that, should change, that does not change automatically Uh, I think that it should change and uh, it it can only change in my view if you start from the end if you see (laughs) what is the deliverable what the administration needs to deliver not how it works, how it operates how it is evaluated, how it is stuffed, how it is, all this we have reformed 15 times, maybe 115 times in the past 30 years, and I haven't seen anything, you know, uh, any any concrete uh, result. So for me, it's a complete different perspective in administrative reform, in the operation of the administration, and the, if you start from the end, from what has to be delivered, and you go up to the process, to the staffing, to the evaluation, etc., then you have a different entry into the problem, and formalism can... Hmm to
2: uh, go
0: somewhere no. last comment if I made uh, is that a more academic way of saying that? Lef- <laughs> is that a more academic way of saying left to its own devices this is an administration an administrative machine that can't reform but it can with the troika it can by uh, the focus on outputs with uh, no. the troika saying these things must be done uh, no no <laughs>
1: Although uh, I, I, I think you expected a yes uh, <laughs> No, I think I would also think yes Some time ago But I have changed my mind That's why uh, Yes, the emphasis of, on, on specific targets To achieve um, Helps But uh, What i see seen since some time now Is that the extreme And sometimes I would say Irrational Pressure uh, leads to irrational effects. Yes. Because uh, if if there is just a pressure to deliver results, uh, then it is you know a rationalizing factor. Hmm. But if there is an extreme pressure, a uh, time pressure, and and micromanagement, and uh, no, yes. that's irrational and produces irrational results on an irrational. In irrationally organised, you know, administration. So uh, I don't uh, expect the solution or the um, whatever uh, perspective from the Troika, but from a different process.
0: Great. We're we're looking for that element of optimism. Um, Ian, um, sorry, uh, please go ahead. Yes.
2: Hello, thank you. That was very interesting. Can I ask you something which you didn't talk about very directly and only a little bit in an answer to um, uh, the, the last question? You have work to do, you have staff. Can I ask you a little bit about how many staff you have got working for you? So is it large relatively or is it small? What is the quality <coughs> of these staff? Um is it a high-status job to be working in uh, the Ombudsman's department or the reverse? and what is your staff turnover like? Because that is also important for actually developing expertise and being able to push things through and follow things up. So can you say a bit about who these people are beyond yourself? Thank you, Billy. The institution is about
1: 200 people in total. All included, but uh, the um, investigators uh, are about 120 to 130, depending on, and um, but uh, and their uh, qualifications are very high. Uh, they it, it was one of, you know, of the um, you know first features of this uh, service to be staffed with uh, <clears throat> people who had, uh, from a master's degree and on, and, and um, many of them uh, later went into academia, into university, so there is a turnover, some not anymore. In the past it was more easy. Uh, and it, it is a high-status uh, job within the civil service compared to other
0: services. Good, thanks. Other comments, other questions? Can I I give a question? Yes. more practical. If you have problems... Can you just wait for the microphone? Uh,
2: My name, first of all, is Sotiris. I'm Greek Cypriot, um, born and bred in this country. Um, If you have problems, how do you resolve your problems? A manager has to manage first himself or herself or vice versa, do you collaborate with other ombudsmen in other parts of the EU for solutions?
1: We are part of uh, all kinds of networks, uh, in uh, (coughs) European networks, the International Ombudsman uh, Institute, the European network, the Mediterranean network, etc. And we have a lot of uh, international activities also Uh, From the start, the the Greek Ombudsman had a very um, active uh, international uh, uh,
2: presence,
1: especially uh, in the Balkans. There was um, a project uh, with the Council of Europe, which was called EUNOMIA, and it um, meant to promote uh, the development of similar institutions in the area. So, we had, for example, a twinning project with uh, Serbia for the Serbian ombudsman. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and we have cooperated with all the uh, ombudsmen of the region. And for this uh, twinning project, we cooperated with the Dutch ombudsman. So, there is a constant uh, communication and participation in uh, various international activities and with other ombudsmen. Good,
0: thanks. Other comments and questions? Uh, David. Okay.
2: Uh, David Hurst can you give us an example of the irrationalities that you have prevented in terms of austerity or the cuts can you give
0: examples of the irrationalities that you yeah. prevented uh, in the context of the crisis
2: you, you work by mediation but have you had, can, you, have you, can you give us a practical example of um, of, of, uh, of irrational decisions that you have managed to uh, To overcome, to overcome, in in in, in the ministry, or not to manage, Mm. (laughs) to overcome.
1: Uh, The difficulty with uh, uh, irrational decisions during these times is that they they are, as we say, horizontal decisions. So it is very difficult to overturn them, to change them. When it is an individual decision, it is easier because you need to convince. One person, one service. Now uh, you, you can't convince the whole parliament, you know, like that. So it's a, it, it's a um, uh, look. The, I have in mind um, one that uh, uh, which is, is was irrational, also in terms of the legal reasoning behind it. Um, in 2011, there were people dismissed from the civil service in this so-called ephedria, uh, which meant uh, they would go out either uh, to retire or, or, or to stay for two years and then to retire. In
0: a mobility scheme?
1: It was before the oh, mobility. Sorry, sorry, it was the first, in t- at the end of 2011. Then sorry. it was the mobility scheme. So, uh, And at that moment, uh, uh, there was... Uh, uh, even people who had the conditions to retire under favorable laws were um, obliged to retire. Example, a woman who wanted to continue to work, uh, but who um, had a number of uh, um, who had worked a number of years, a specific number of years, let's say 15 or 20 years, when her child was still under 18. Now, uh, she had the choice normally to retire or not. She didn't want to retire. And the decision was that she should retire. Now, I find it completely rational. But it took place we couldn't change that because it was general... Uh, uh, that is uh, one uh, one question which which shows completely the irrationality. But apart from that, you have other uh, issues. Uh, for example, there are people who uh, had uh, submitted um, uh, their um, the necessary conditions. They had the necessary conditions to retire under some uh, uh, law, and the law changes. So these people had already closed down their shop or uh, stopped their business, whatever they had, or they had quitted their job. Um, and the law comes after they had uh, submitted their application to retire, and it changes the conditions. So they have lost their job. They have either quitted or they have closed their business, and they cannot retire. So there we managed to um, ask for a transition period that these people who had submitted their application according to the previous legal, legal framework, they could still retire because otherwise they were you know, uh, completely lost. They couldn't retire and they couldn't go back to their job. That's, uh,
0: Other comments and cre- or questions? Stella. This might have to be the last one. I'm
1: okay, I will be quick. Um, what has been the resilience of the institution of the Ombudsman? How much has it been affected by the crisis itself? Um, because you answered about its staffing, but how has this changed since then? And very quickly, the media. Uh, because what we hear from people in the administration is that they hear what the Ombudsman has to say because they're worried that the Ombudsman will let the media know and then they will be affected more so is this true or is it just a perception that public administrators have no uh, but the first uh, we have been uh, uh, greatly affected uh, financially our budget has shrunk completely but uh, in terms of personnel less because uh, the conditions um, under which they had people to go out of the civil service did not describe them in terms of age, the average age is not you know it 's lower than what is usually described as a condition to to retire so or to retire or to whatever um, now uh, the, the second question about the media that 's a, a big chapter i didn 't uh, talk about. Uh, yes, this is one of the strengths of the Ombudsman. If you cannot sanction, if you cannot punish, if you cannot impose, uh, then you can take the issue to the court of public debate, and there uh, it is practically sure that you will have the public opinion with you. Uh, and we do it. Now, how much that works, um, it depends on the issue. If it is something that is completely... You know, uh, irrational, and it is due to a civil servant who wants service that may exert pressure. But if it is a general issue, again, it's different. (coughs) But I would like to add something to to, the question of media. The media often um, has a tendency to um, to uh, increase or reproduce uh, a negative feeling about all institutions and increase this feeling of lack of trust and this is something that at some point may affect any institution independently of the work uh, they do and uh, that's something that uh, personally keep very well in mind uh, because uh, media may have their own way of seeing things, their own agenda and um, it's a little bit, uh, you know, it, it You need to be careful, in my view, because uh, as much as they can help, they can also do damage to our work.
0: Well, thank you. I think we're out of time. I think we've had a a very insightful reality check, as it were, on the operation of uh, the state administration in the context of the, the crisis. Uh, but thank you very much for this uh, clarity and for raising a number of important themes for us to think of as we go away. So uh, on your behalf, can I thank our speaker, Professor kaliopis Banu, for an excellent lecture. Thank you.